This is Grounded, a podcast from Michigan Sugar Company. Grounded is intended to explore our history, the tradition that's made us great, and the ideas to drive us into the future. Grounded is hosted by Jim Ruhlman, Michigan Sugar Company Executive Vice President. And now, here's Jim Ruhlman. Welcome to Grounded. This afternoon, we have with us Mr. Mark Flagenheimer. He's the President and CEO of Michigan Sugar Company. Thanks for joining us, Mark. My pleasure. The history of your family in the sugar business is well documented with your grandfather's career in both Europe and North America, and then with your father's career here at Michigan Sugar Company. Maybe you can tell us, was your career in the sugar industry kind of a, a destiny for you, or how did that start, and maybe what was your first job in, in the sugar industry as, as you got exposed to the industry? I don't think there was ever really a a plan. Certainly, I was always intrigued by the business. I would join dad on Saturdays and go on tours of factories, climb on beet piles as a kid. And my first job actually was hand stacking 100-pound bags at the Carlton factory for a summer job. And then I parlayed that into about a five-week stint at Carlton during campaign. So those were both interesting experiences that I had that directly tied to Michigan Sugar. But Really, my career in the sugar industry uh, happened a little bit by chance. I uh, had graduated from college and was looking for a job and wanted to go out to New York City, which is where I had family, grandparents, and was always intrigued by Wall Street and ended up getting a job with a commodity trading company who happened to be the world's largest sugar trading company as well. So you're out in New York and you're acclimated to, to the trading business of sugar Several years later, there's an opportunity that comes up at Michigan Sugar Company. Can you maybe walk us through how that transpired or how that began and and what were the decisions that you had to to make in order to leave New York and and come to Michigan? Yeah, so the the timing of it all, I think, happened probably for a reason. Dave Roach had taken over after my dad retired, and, and Dave was the president of the company, and He had left an opening as a VP of of admin that handled a number of different things with the company, and he um, reached out to me. I was in New York, and he said, hey, would you ever be interested in coming back to Michigan? And the timing of it was very interesting because Amarop Sugar, which was the company I was working for, had just announced that they were going to move to Miami, Florida from New York City. And I'd met uh, Ann out there in New York. She's from New York City. I always joked with her. I said, I, I think we're moving and we're going <laughs> to, we're going to move someplace that uh, begins with an M, either Miami or, or Michigan. And we were starting a family and I was traveling a ton in my previous job. I got to travel all around the world. It was great when I was young and single, but with mm-hmm. family, we thought settling down and putting our roots down was a good idea. And Michigan was an easy decision. When you were in New York and it sounds to me like you've made you made a lot of connections to to the industry or folks in the industry, and it sounds like those friendships are, are still alive today. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the connections you made out there while you were in New York before you came to Michigan? Yeah, so obviously first job and you're forming some friendships. A lot of those people are still in the sugar industry, and and much like myself, they've moved on. You know, either the Domino Sugar or some of them are still trading sugar and relationships down in Louisiana. I got, we did a lot of business down there. So I, I do some of those folks down there. I don't know. It's, it's the sugar community where I think you just have that 
kind of special relationship. I had it going into the job just because my family. So I immediately could relate and, and have a rapport with, with people. Yeah, I'm very lucky that I still have some of those uh, contacts and friendships. Thank you. So you talk to Ann and you, you convince her to come to Michigan and you get into the corporate office up on 4800 Fashion Square Boulevard in Saginaw. What do you see? I'm sure you've you had heard from your father what kind of maybe what the environment was like and, and so forth. You're there with Dave. You walk in. What what kind of environment did you see at Michigan Sugar at that time? Yeah, Dave was a great mentor. He uh, immediately gave me some projects to sink my teeth into. Natural gas was being deregulated at the time, and he's like, "Oh, you know how to trade commodities here. You you, you can buy natural gas." And so that was kind of interesting and fun and working with, you know, some of the older school people like Chuck Woodington in our purchasing department. He, I'm trying to buy natural gas. He's trying to buy oil and we're kind of <laughs> yeah. going back and forth. And so, you know, I, I was a little bit of the new kid on the block and I thought I had to prove myself that, you know, it wasn't just my last name. Also, Dave immediately put me on a, a task force down in Savannah where I was flying down Monday morning, come back Thursday, and it was big strategic planning. And, and it really was the beginning of Savannah having or selling to Imperial. Originally, it was it was Florida Crystals, but uh, that was a great project. Got to meet the people down in Savannah, wonderful people down there. You know, I think that project really transformed Savannah, ultimately not for the good, uh, unfortunately, but it was, it was a circumstance that I think was beyond their control. So let's talk about maybe that time period in the mid-'90s where you're down in Savannah, you're, you're, you're going through some of these projects with them. Dave eventually gets called down to Savannah to be in that corporate office. You become the head of of Michigan Sugar Company and things start to happen that I think maybe you saw maybe a little bit when you were down there, but many of us didn't see was the sale of Savannah Foods to another entity. Initially, there was a bid by Florida Crystals to buy Savannah and and then Imperial stepped in and and made made an even better offer and things kind of transpired from there. What was going through your mind when all of those activities were happening? So when you know Dave went down to, to Savannah, he was still my boss. That's who I reported to. So I still had someone who I knew I could pick up the phone to and ask anything. The Florida Crystals thing made a ton of sense. It, it was vertical integration. It was a raw sugar supply Savannah didn't have. And it seemed like it was going to be a good marriage, and I think everybody was excited about it. Imperial came in, ultimately overbid Florida Crystals. Savannah was a public company, so they had a responsibility to their shareholders to take the highest price. And, and Imperial, on the other hand, was very interesting and intriguing as well. They, they were in the beet business. So the Florida Crystal guys weren't. So there was expertise that could be shared. There was uh, other uh, factories you could go visit and look at. You could talk to them about agronomic issues and whatnot. So, you know, at the beginning with Imperial, it was great. I mean, there, there were big plans and, you know, truly a national marketer of sugar. But unfortunately, I think their leverage caught up with them and ultimately caused their demise. As I look back and we were going through those times, one, with the Imperial merger, some of the functions migrated from our Saginaw corporate office down there. And then as time progressed and the financial struggle, struggles became more apparent, 
we were struggling up here with with repairs and finances and so forth and and there came a point where it just didn't seem like it was going to work and i remembered you coming into my office and saying i i think we well i think you <laughs> need to talk to the folks down in imperial about the growers buying the company i remember that day pretty vividly and it was it was one of those days where I knew as a leader you were taking our company um, on your shoulders and, and trying to to keep it in in survival mode. So, what were the conversations with the Imperial folks like when you presented them that idea? Having the growers buy the company and getting them, you know, fully vested was a, a model that was being done very successfully out in the Red River Valley. Having good grower relations and having a constant supply of sugar beets is is key. It always has been. So the logic of it was there. I mean, there was a model out there. It wasn't a new concept. And, um, you know, the Imperial folks were, were pretty receptive. They, um, they needed money. And what better way to generate $40 million than to spin off Michigan and let Michigan survive or on its own and for Michigan and the beet industry not just Michigan but the beet industry as we've seen throughout the U.S. the co-op structure is the structure I mean it it aligns everything perfectly and knowing that and knowing the people that were at Michigan Sugar at the time I was pretty confident that it was going to work. So you meet with the Imperial folks and you get permission to talk to the growers about it can you talk about the venue in which that happened and kind of the introduction of the idea to the growers? Oh, yeah. It's, it's uh, well known in, in, in some circles of the famous quail hunting trip. That's right. Imperial used to like to take uh, growers from around the country down to uh, South Texas and go quail hunting. And um, we had talked with Imperial and, and there was a trip that was planned. And I said, you know, that might be a nice venue to to float this idea on them Uh, little did uh, our growers know that they weren't just going for a hunting trip that they were going maybe on a a buying trip and they understood it immediately our growers that were there on that trip that uh, we were serious imperial was serious and that they needed to be serious if they wanted sugar beets to remain in michigan and Jack Taggett was one of the folks there. And I still think back in the early 80s, Jack wished they would have bought the company at that time instead of Savannah. And so, you know, they've talked to their grower colleagues throughout the country and what co-ops mean and what they've done for their farms out, out west. And I think uh, it was unanimous that night. I don't think they necessarily knew how they were going to do it, but I think the concept and the idea was something that they weren't afraid of and they were excited to sink their teeth into. Mm-hmm. There were a number of management folks there too. And I remember distinctly being at at the tables within the hunting cabin and then strolling outside to this, this huge bright moon and by a fence and <laughs> this deer eating out of a deer, deer bait pile. And we were just kind of talking about the future and it was just it really, really gave us hope as employees, knowing that we we had somewhat of a future. Yeah, we had some some a lot of things, a lot of work to do. Yeah, but I vividly remember that night 
being a, a turning point for, for all of us. So as we go back, take a trip down memory lane, it was, it was one of those nights that's, that's an, that's a historic one for me. So, so the growers at that point kind of agree that that's the direction we need to take. And so there's, there's a lot of things that need to take place in order to make all this happen. And I look back and look at the, the guys on, on the board and the steering committee that was put together at that time and the, and the things that they went through and to sell the idea to their members and the amount of work that guys like Tom Zimmer and Ken Wadsworth and Jack Taggart, like you mentioned, Lauren Hum, just to name a few, they really were strong leaders in, in making this happen. Can you talk about them and, and maybe what they went through at that time and trying to make this all happen? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other person is Dick Leach. Yeah. yeah, he was their executive director, and you know a lot of the work fell on his shoulders. I'm not quite sure how they got Randon Wilson's name, but an attorney out of Salt Lake City, Utah, who had put together the co-op for Amalgamated, was well-known in the co-op world of putting co-ops together and had experience with the Sugar Beet Company. They got a hold of Randon, which was a brilliant move. The guy uh, knew the closed co-op system that we're in, which is unique, knew the importance of one share and one acre, you know, the right and the obligation and, and all of those intricacies of that. And those guys, co-ops in Michigan were not super popular. There was one that had recently failed as uh, this group was out trying to raise money to, to convert Michigan sugar into a co-op. So they had a lot of work to do. They put in a ton of hours they went out on a road show and had, I don't know how many meetings explaining what the co-op was all about, how it would work, why they needed to raise this much equity. And at the end of the day, they got it done. Yeah, without that group of leaders putting that effort in, I'm not sure it would have happened. They, they did an amazing job. They really did. So it did happen. <laughs> we become a co-op in, in 2002. We've been a co-op now for 17 years. In the early stages of the co-op, we had strategy meetings. We had the talks with growers and and board meetings about one co-op in Michigan. And at that time, there were two sugar companies in in Michigan. And can you maybe talk about the planning or the execution of folding in monitor sugar with Michigan Sugar? Sure. Sure. Yeah, an interesting story. I mean, we're starting out as a co-op, and they decided to keep me around to run it for them, which I was very humbled and, and pleased that they respected my leadership. But I didn't know a lot about co-ops, so I had a lot of, lot of work to do and, and a lot of studying to do. And interestingly, Dave Roach, he had gone on to Mindac by then, and they were really cooperative with us, shared all sorts of bylaws and policies and in that co-op spirit of working together they really got us off the ground and and one of the things that they talked about was strategic planning and not a lot of growers had been familiar with strategic planning and so I told the board I thought you know it was pretty important that we go off site and not worry about how the factories performed last week or last month but talk about who we want to be in in five years or ten years and we did, and we had a facilitator help us with that process. And 
you know, the, the one overwhelming thing that came out of that was that wouldn't it be great if someday there was one co-op in Michigan? And so we'd had that meeting, and I got a phone call. I was at a meeting in Arizona, and the gentleman that was marketing in our pulp of molasses, Chuck Hufford, had uh, gotten a call from Bob Hetzler and said that the company was for sale. Uh, Monitor Sugar was for sale, and and he shared that with me. And the really neat thing about having done the strategic planning was we didn't need to go and decide whether this was something we thought was a good idea or what we thought about it. We knew that was what we wanted to do. It, it came a lot sooner than we thought, but you don't control the timing all the time. And Dennis Boisenot, our CFO at the time, had started developing relationships with banks. We started conversations, and we knew those opportunities would come only come around once and, For sure. uh, and we didn't yeah. want we didn't want to miss mm-hmm. and the uh, monitor growers were looking at it as a standalone company and we were talking to them about doing it jointly and at the end of the day we we were able to get it done just uh, two short years after we uh, became a co-op ourselves so from 2002 to 2005 we become a co-op we we've merged with monitor what's the feeling like that at that point what's you know, in your career as a CEO, you've you've taken us, we've split off from Imperial, we've become a co-op, now we've merged with Monitor. What's what's the feeling like? Well, you know, when you when you merge two companies together, there's always different cultures. Even though we were two sugar beet companies ten miles apart, there were you know, you're always gonna have two cultures. And one of the lessons I learned from watching Imperial try to integrate companies together that I didn't think they did a very good job of was they dragged things out. They kept on delaying decisions. They, you knew stuff was going to change, but you didn't know when, and you didn't know. And, and so my approach was, I know we've got to make these decisions. They're tough decisions. They're going to affect people's lives, but I'd rather, I'd rather be quick and get 80% of them right then try to get 100% of them right and take years. I'd rather do it quickly. So that was the approach. You know, I think at the end of the day, I think it, it was the right one. And it's always tough. I mean, you're, you're affecting people's lives. We had you know, duplicate staffs. We had overhead that needed to be cut. And the approach I think we took was let's look at the situation, evaluate which company is doing things better and, and go with it. And it wasn't all Michigan. I mean, the monitor sales team and the sales approach was uh, a direct sales approach. It was no brokers. Michigan was all brokers and a very small sales team. And we went with the monitor approach and had Jerry Coleman leading that for us. And uh, yeah, I think that was the right decision. There were other ones mm-hmm. where we went with the Michigan approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of looked at both cultures and took best practices of, of the two entities and, and, and put them together. So a huge success story there. As you, as you look back between 2005 and, and now and, and look at some of the, the synergies that we, we kind of anticipated, can you talk about some of them that actually came to fruition? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's uh, the sales one is, is one. You know, we were, had two marketers uh, in Michigan. Now mm-hmm. we had one. We um, put the uh, general offices together, two presidents, two CFOs, two treasurers, two, you know, duplication all through there. We, we streamlined all of that in, into one group. Mm-hmm. And then um, asset utilization. We had five factories at the time. 
we made the tough decision to close Carlton. You know, as you look at beat freight and moving beats around, while it's not perfect today, it's a lot better than it was if there were two separate entities and the way it had been previously. So, yeah, I think, you know, you just look at it from a macro level of the amount of sugar we were making before we were co-ops and we were before we were merged in five factories, you know, was probably 9 million hundredweight. And now we make 13 million hundredweight. So mm-hmm. that in and of itself is, is pretty outstanding. Making the campaigns longer and, and whatnot may not be a synergy, but I would, I would call that co-op synergy because if it's all accruing to your shareholders, running your assets for a longer period of time makes economic sense. For sure. Maybe switch gears just a little bit. You know, the monitor Michigan merger happened and, and we all came together and, you know, I look back at, at some of the the hurdles we've crossed and the leadership that you took during those times. As a leader, there's always inherent pressures and things that maybe you think about more than the other. Are there certain things that keep you up at night that maybe you'd like to share with us or, or not? <laughs> yeah, I think in this business, uh, and, uh, the phrase that you use a lot, Jim, is God and government. And, uh, you know, certainly the weather, while there's not a lot you can do about it, you know, it, it does keep you up and, and it keeps me up because I know it affects the returns. Uh, mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day, keeping sugar beets the crop of choice, keeping sugar beets viable, having that extra return because they're a specialized crop. It's a unique crop, requires specialized equipment. And when you've got great laid plans and Mother Nature decides to rain all spring or mm-hmm. decides not to rain during August it can keep you up at night because you know it affects our our shareholders returns that's for sure too when you look back at the last 17 years or 14 years with the merger with monitor is there anything you would have done different (laughs) there's always stuff you you, you'd you'd do different i think you know one of the things that certainly as a sugar trader one of the things that was ingrained in in you was make your decisions quickly and cut your losses quickly i i would rather um, make decisions without having analysis paralysis and delaying, mm-hmm. delaying, delaying, and, ma- and not making a decision because you're not going to get them all right. I don't care how long you you analyze and think about. Uh, so I'd rather be decisive and know we're, we're going to learn from from our mistakes. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I am far from perfect <laughs> in in my batting average. Uh, well, I don't I don't agree with you there. But when you look at where we are today and, and look into our future. How do you feel? I'm really optimistic. I think you know, we have some of the best, most progressive growers in the country, if not the world. We have fabulous employees. I have a great team that uh, supports me. And uh, at the end of the day, that's what it takes is people. People are the most important capital. Yeah, they may decide what kind of equipment to put in, but you got to have good people to make good decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a ton of really good people here, so I'm really optimistic. Well, Mark, I want to thank you. It's been a really, really good talk with you. Your family's impact on the sugar industry in, in Michigan is certainly a strong one. As an employee, I want to say thank you. I know our growers feel the same way, and we'll wrap that up. We'll wrap our podcast up with that. So. I really, really appreciate your time today. My pleasure. This has been Grounded. If you'd like to hear an episode on a specific topic, 
please email your ideas to grounded at michigansugar.com. Thanks for listening and check back soon for another edition of Grounded.